Interestingly, the article that we're going to look at this morning in our Articles of Faith have to do with gospel baptism. And it's the eighth article that, uh, that's listed in our Articles of Faith. And it's interesting that we have arrived at this article as we've gone through the uh, series of our Articles of Faith on the very day that we're going to have the baptism for Brother Michael. I would appreciate an interest in your prayers. There's a lot to cover here, and I pray that God will bless us to be able to look at his word, open it up, and find a lodging place in our hearts about the scriptural basis for gospel baptism. Brother Phil, when your grandfather and the other brothers uh, got together and uh, desired to start a church here at Mount Carmel above 85 years ago. They embraced these articles. There are 11 of them. And they embraced these articles, and we have held closely to them throughout the last 85-plus years. Most of these articles came from the New River Association, I believe, in North Carolina. The men that... Put these down in print. We're blessed with godly wisdom to be able to take what the Bible teaches and summarize it in some principal points that we have to hold to today. I grew up in West Texas and went to the church there. And the articles that we have at uh, my home church in West Texas are very, very similar to the articles here in Bel Air, Maryland. And as you travel around the country, and visit old school or primitive Baptist churches, you'll find that the articles are very, very similar. There's not a lot of places that you can travel that the articles will mirror these articles other than Old Baptist. And so I'd like for you to look at this one, and hopefully we can go back to the fifth and sixth and seventh article and see how that it applies in this eighth article of faith. Pray for me. I would appreciate it. We believe that immersion upon profession of faith in Christ in the name of the sacred trinity by one duly authorized by the church to administer the ordinances of God in the church is gospel baptism. And that all persons so baptized shall continue to walk circumspectly and shall have the right to partake of the Lord's Supper. So in looking at it, there's at least four, maybe five really important points in this fifth article that our forefathers adopted that we have held to that is one of the identifying marks of the New Testament church. Let's look at the four or five points. The mode of baptism. Our forefathers said that they believed that immersion is the mode of baptism. The second one, our forefathers said that they believe that the scriptures teach that we need to make a profession of our hope in Christ. That there needs to be a difference in our life and a hope in our Savior Jesus Christ. And we'll look at examples that support this, that I believe is where they got it. It says, we believe that upon profession of faith in Christ, and this is really important as well, in the name of the sacred trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then number three, 
We believe that the ordinance of baptism needs to be administered by uh, someone authorized by the church to administer the ordinance of baptism and the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. I knew a gentleman in West Texas, and he said, he was an older gentleman, and he told me that, uh, and I know this is an extreme view, but he said that his daughter decided that she wanted to be baptized, and he said, and, and he was not a minister, he was not a minister that had been ordained in any church, and he said, we were driving around uh, down the road, and does anybody know what a bar ditch is? In, in West Texas, we had bar ditches. It's uh, a big ditch on the side of the road that when it finally does rain, the water, Brother David, I know you know what a bar ditch is, that uh, when it rains, the water runs down through this bar ditch along the side of the road. And he said, we were driving down the road and my daughter decided she wanted to be baptized. And he said, I pulled the car off the road. And he said, we walked down into the bar ditch. And he said, I baptized my daughter in the bar ditch. Well, that's an extreme view right there. The mode may have been appropriate, but the administrator was not. So let's go on down. Our article also says that we believe that one authorized by the church to administer the ordinance of baptism. And number four, that the person that's baptized needs to walk. It says continue to walk circumspectly. Uh, in serving the Lord. And that does not mean that you walk perfectly in serving the Lord. But it does mean that there is a difference in your life and that you have acknowledged that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. You may make mistakes along the way, but what it means is that you're not pursuing in an avenue of sin and embracing gospel baptism and thinking that's going to make a payment for your sin but that we are called to walk as Christians and circumspectly going forward. Now, I had the false notion. I can remember my baptism way back in 1976. I was so mis... I, I didn't have the clear view of baptism when I was baptized completely because I thought that when I was baptized... I would not struggle with sin after that. And I remember the wonderful day that I was baptized, and it was a precious day in January. My folks had not been supportive of my joining and being baptized, and they finally agreed to let me. Uh, they thought I was doing it for my grandparents or doing it for the wrong reason or other reasons. And finally, through persistence, they allowed me to be baptized. And I remember what a special and wonderful day it was. But I thought that I wouldn't have any struggles with sin after that. And I was sorely and sadly disappointed that before the day was up, I realized that I was still a sinner. And so calling us to walk circumspectly is to serve the Lord and walk right before the Lord. But it doesn't mean that God's going to remove completely this old Adam nature that we carry with us. He will do that when we go home to glory. But he makes us aware of the struggle that we have. And the difficulties we have in serving the Lord. But we have a desire and a heart to serve the Lord. Let's look at these. There is so much here. And I'm going to just, I'm going to paraphrase a lot of it. Because I really want to get to the, the, uh, uh, all the points. And I pray that God will bless us to do it. We believe that immersion upon profession of faith in Christ in the name of the Trinity. One duly authorized by the church to administer the ordinances of baptism. And that those persons shall walk circumspectly and that will have the right to partake of the Lord's Supper. Acts chapter 8 will address a lot of these points right here. Acts chapter 8. It says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. It says the angel of the Lord. And then in verse 29, it says, The Spirit of the Lord. I still believe today... That God works the same way that he did back in those times as well. I believe that God works on the life of the minister as well as on the life of the candidate to be baptized. And I believe that God can open doors and he can open paths and he can direct individuals down a certain course 
that lead us to different places in our life. And that's exactly what he was doing right here to Philip. Philip actually didn't know who he was going to go to as he was making this journey right here. It says the angel of the Lord in verse 26, verse 29 says the spirit of the Lord. You can, if you want to, connect the dots in your own life. If you did not grow up among uh, an old Baptist church, you can connect the dots in your life and you can look back and you can identify the hand of the Lord in leading you to the point of where you are today. I'll give you an example. Michael is a great example right here. You know how that started? It started through a snowstorm about many years ago when Brother Justice and Sister Tracy were going to a church and the church had closed the doors because of the, of the blizzard conditions that we were having. And I knew that I had four-wheel drive, so I didn't have a real good excuse not to come to church. And I thought, if, if anybody comes, I'll be there at the church house. And so rather than cancel church that day, we opened the doors of the church. And when they went to the place that they were going to worship and it was closed, they were traveling back uh, by Mount Carmel back to their house and all of a sudden they saw a few cars scattered in the parking lot and they decided to pull into Mount Carmel and I love the story sister Tracy said primitive Baptist what does primitive mean and brother justice says I don't know but I like primitive things <laughs> well they must have because they're still coming but then they started coming and bringing their family. And then God opened the door for us to meet Brother Danny up in Boston. And so I received a phone call from Elder Dickie Hobbywalks. And he said, we've got a young man in our church, an infant boy that needs surgery. And the only place in the world that he can get this surgery is in Boston. The only doctor that's capable of doing this surgery. He said, do you know anybody in Boston? I said, I know one person. And it was Brother Danny because he had opened up the Quaker meeting house and we'd had a service there just a few weeks before that. So Brother Danny opened his home for the family to stay in his home during that time. Well, then Brother Danny came down and visited his folks and he wanted to come back and be closer to them and started attending Mount Carmel. And during his attending Mount Carmel, all of a sudden, Elder Aquino preached a wonderful message that convicted Brother Danny's heart. And he asked to follow in gospel baptism. So then fast forwarding just a little bit, a few years down the road, then Danny said to Michael and Katie, how about going with us to New York, to the New York service? And Katie, who said she had no interest in meeting any of Danny's friends, or at least <laughs> Michael, agreed to go along and they attended the New York service. And on the way back, a trip that normally takes about three hours took them about six and a half hours. Danny woke up in the back seat at one point after driving several after Michael had been driving several hours talking to Katie. And he thought they were probably getting close to home and he looked up and he said, please tell me that's not the skyline of New York City that we're facing here. And so through some wrong turns, they finally got back. And through that, God knitted the hearts of Michael and Katie. And then Michael came to seek and following gospel baptism. So when it says in Acts chapter 2 that the Lord added to the church, each one has a really neat, unique experience of how God adds you to the church. That's just one. God still works with his spirit impressing ministers. Look what he says right here. He said, as he went and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, Candace, the queen, it says that who had charge over her treasure. He had a he had a very prestigious position and he had. He had come to Jerusalem for to worship and he was returning and he was sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip. So we saw that it was an angel earlier. The spirit, however it works. I, I believe that God works with impressions today. The Lord has not audibly spoken to me, but God does bless us with certain impressions along the way. And it says that as he was returning, it says the spirit 
said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And, and this is all that Philip said to him. That Philip said to this Ethiopian uh, individual that was reading Isaiah the prophet, he said, do you understand what you read? Philip didn't just all of a sudden start trying to preach to him. Philip didn't try to turn him around. Philip wanted to know where he was and what he was reading. And he was there to answer the questions that the eunuch might have. And so the eunuch said right here, he said, How can I accept some men guide me? The role of the gospel minister is not to make children of God. It's not to give spiritual life, but it is to take God's word. I remember brother, uh, brother uh, uh, Jack Johnson asked me, uh, I was about 20 something years old and we were sitting across from the table and I'd started speaking in the church. And he said, do you think you're called to preach? I said, I don't know how you're supposed to feel if you're called to preach. I I didn't. I knew I loved reading God's word and I loved sharing God's word. And I I loved uh, trying to open up God's word. And I I rejoiced that it seemed to make a difference in in people's lives. Well, right here, the uh, Philip was being used of God to open up God's word. The eunuch said, I'm reading it. I don't understand it. And he said, how can I accept something to guide me? And that's the role of the gospel preacher. The gospel does not save us eternally speaking. The gospel does not give us spiritual life. God may quicken us at that time, but God oftentimes quickens us before that or he can quicken us after that. Spiritual life comes from the new birth of Jesus Christ and he sovereignly and solely is in charge of that himself. But look what he says right here. The gospel minister is just there to make a declaration. Okay, here's what he says. The place of the scripture that he read was uh, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb dumb before a shear. So he opened not his mouth and his humility and his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and he said, I pray thee of whom speakest the prophet or this or himself or some other man. And then I love this right here. Then Philip opened his mouth and he began at the same scripture where the eunuch was reading. You know, that's a real good lesson for me. When I'm talking to somebody, I ought to be able to go right where they are and be able to talk to them about the questions that they have right there. It says that Philip opened his mouth. He began to preach Jesus. And it says that as they went on their way, they came to certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. So apparently in the message that that Philip was preaching, to the eunuch, that he addressed many, many points in uh, of, of the Messiah and addressed baptism. And it says, as they went on their way, they came to certain water. And it says, the eunuch said, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? I love the testimony of old brother Herb Hurst, 80-something years old, who started attending here. I miss brother Herb. He's with the Lord now. But he started attending. And he said, you know, from what I read in God's word, just a few weeks after he was attending, he says, it's apparent the Lord's dealt with me in my life. And he says, looks to me like I need to be baptized. And he said, when can we do it? He didn't want to put it off, but he wanted to do it immediately. And look what he says right here. Philip gives the condition right here. Now, I enjoy going through the articles of faith with folks that want to unite with Mount Carmel through baptism because I don't want them to be surprised and I want them to have an opportunity to ask any questions and discuss the, the articles that we, that we embrace. But there's one requirement right here that's given for gospel baptism. We understand that we're so, supposed to show fruits of repentance in our life. But this individual was already reading God's word. This individual already gave an evidence that the Lord was dealing with him. And he says right here, Philip said unto him, he says, the eunuch says, I see a body of water. What hinders me from being baptized? And it says, Philip said to him, he says, if you believe with all thine heart, thou mayest. Now, how do we believe in Christ? Because he plants that in our heart and in our mind. 
we can go over to Hebrews chapter 8 and we can see that he writes his laws in our mind and he writes them in our hearts. And he says that he will be to us a God and we will be his people. So Philip is acknowledging, Philip is declaring that, yes, Christ is written in my heart. Christ is written in my head. And he says to um, it says, Philip uh, says to the eunuch, he says, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And, and the eunuch answered and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Do you know, that's a great evidence that God has given you spiritual life and that you have it on the inside. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all, it's because you're a child of the king and he's given you spiritual life. Now, look at what it says. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And here's where one of the this emphasizes the mode of baptism. He commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went. It says they went both. It says they they went down both into the water. And it says Philip and the eunuch. And it says in the water, Philip baptized him. Now, I just want to throw this out. Baptism is representative of something. Baptism is representative of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when you watch Michael get baptized this afternoon, as you witness this baptism, we're going to lay him down in the water. We're not going to leave him there very long. (laughs) We're going to lay him down in the water, and that's symbolic of the death and the burial. And then real soon, we're going to raise him right back up. And that's symbolic of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so you're going to witness, you're going to witness the gospel being proclaimed through Michael's baptism. You're going to witness it right there. You're going to witness what Christ did for you. And Mike is saying, I want to subscribe to being a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, here's how I know that it's going to be a good day for Michael. It says they came up out of the water. The spirit caught the Lord, uh, caught the, uh, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip. And it says the eunuch saw him no more. And it says, and he went on his way rejoicing. Now, I have good evidence that that's what Michael is going to do. So. In in uh, first Peter, first uh, Peter, chapter three. Let's look at what baptism is not. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse, verse 21. It says, The like figure wherewith baptism doth also now save us. But he says, It is not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but it is the answer of a good conscience toward God. Did you know the time to be baptized? It tells us right here that baptism is not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. Baptism is not going to pay the price for not a single one of your sins. Not a one of them. Your sins are paid for. If they're paid for at all, they're paid for on the cross of Calvary. And Jesus Christ paid the price of your sins and he paid it in full. We sing the song, uh, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain, but he washed me white as snow. Your sins have been paid for by the blood of Christ. Baptism is not going to pay the price for your sin. But I'll tell you what baptism will do. Baptism will identify you as a follower of Jesus Christ. And it says that baptism will is an answer of a good conscience toward God. Anybody here have a conscience? Yeah. Lord, ever stir your conscience. Did you know the time to be baptized is when the Lord stirs your conscience? It's not when the preacher tells you to. It's not when your grandparents tell you to or your mom and dad. The time to be baptized is when God stirs your conscience. When God convicts your conscience. I remember one sister called on, one, on a Thursday one week. This was years ago, 25 years ago, 26 years ago. And she said, why is it that every week you've been preaching about baptism? And I said, I, I, I'm sorry that I haven't been. And, and, and I'm sorry that I haven't been preaching about baptism. I said, it may very well be that it's the Lord speaking to your conscience about baptism. And she came forward the following week and sought gospel baptism. So baptism is not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but it's the answer of a good conscience toward God. It is an answer 
of a good conscience toward God. Okay, let's look at another example right here. Matthew chapter 3, really, really good example right here. Boy, I hope we can just really plow through this real quick because I, I really want to get to a couple more points. I'm going to just speed through Matthew chapter 3. Please go and read all of Matthew chapter 3. It's really, really good. It talks about John preaching in the wilderness, and the message that he's preaching is repent you for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he was making a way for Christ. And as John was uh, was preaching and, and baptizing uh, in uh, Jordan, and there were folks that were coming and they were confessing their sins, and all of a sudden the Sadducees and the Pharisees began to uh, 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 consider this baptism. But here's what uh, John said to them. So if baptism was going to give you spiritual life right here, John just caused some folks to lose spiritual life. Because look what he says. He says, Then went out to him unto Jerusalem, unto all Judea, all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He says, Bring therefore forth fruits, meat for repentance. What is he saying right there? He's saying that when God does a work in your life by the spirit of almighty God, there is some degree of evidence in your life that you're a different individual. Wouldn't you attest to that? Those that God has worked in your life, you're not the same as you were before. Elder Compton used to say, he said, we're not baptizing folks on who they were. We're baptizing them on who they are. When the Lord visits you with his spirit and gives you spiritual life and causes you to be born again, you're a different individual than you were before that. And so here's what uh, 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 John is saying right here. He says, you folks need to bring forth some fruits that are meat for repentance if you want to follow in gospel baptism. Now let's fast forward it here just a little bit. John was baptizing and all of a sudden Christ Now, if baptism was for the purpose of putting away your sin, why did Christ seek baptism? Because he was sinless. He was. And so baptism, it says, we'll look at Christ's words specifically. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that is that, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And he said, uh, and then it says, Jesus cometh from Galilee unto Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. Can you imagine that? Jesus Christ coming to John to be baptized of him. And look at John's response. John forbade him. John said, He said, Jesus, I need to be baptized of thee. And you are coming to me. And look what Jesus Christ said. Jesus answered and said unto him, suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Do you know why that we, one of the main reasons we ought to be baptized is because Jesus Christ set the example for us. And number two, it says that it's to fulfill all righteousness. It's a righteous act that honors the Lord in following in gospel baptism. Now let's look at what happens after this. It says that, and Jesus, when he was baptized, and here this addresses the mode of baptism again, and Jesus, when he was baptized, he went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. This mode, in every case that you look at, you'll see the same mode of baptism of going down in the water or coming up out of the water. Let's look what happens here. Jesus, when he was baptized, he went up straightway out of the water and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So we've looked at the mode of baptism. And we'll see a couple more emphasis here 
about the meaning of baptism. I want to look at, if we can, the uh, administer of baptism. We've looked at the mode of baptism. We've looked at the meaning of baptism. We've looked at the candidate that's to be baptized. Now we're going to look at the administrator of baptism. Acts chapter 2. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, verse 38, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Peter declaring this, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And he says, For this promise is unto you and to your children and to as many as are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now, you can get that point again in verse 47. He says right here, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. He mentions again in verse 47 that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I, I, I am not an absoluter and I'm not, I'm not going in that direction at all. But I do believe that each of God's people have a unique experience in coming to gospel baptism to the truth of Jesus Christ, to the church of Jesus Christ. And I think you can look at your own experience and see the hand of God in bringing you to that point. So here's something that's really, really super important. We've looked at the mode. We've looked at the candidate. We've looked at the meaning. Now we're going to look at the administrator. The article says that the one to administrate the ordinance of baptism is one that's recognized by the church. What does that mean? I I wondered why our forefathers put these layers of protection in the church. I talked to Brother Andrew Huffman this morning and he always helps me and he opens up God's word and he helped me a whole lot in many areas. Whether he puts on his attorney cap or his pre- preacher cap, he's a great, great blessing to me and I, I appreciate his good counsel. The church does not make preachers. The church doesn't do that. The Lord is the one that calls individuals to preach. The church can assemble together and the church can recognize someone that they think might be called to preach. But if the Lord has not called them to preach, it'll be a disaster to that individual and to the church as well. And I've known a few cases where folks were ordained that later on it was manifest that maybe... It was an old grandmother or an old sister in the church that wanted her grandson or son ordained and they pushed for it. And it ended up being devastating to that individual and to the church as well. There's some identifying marks that we can look at and recognize if the Lord has done a work in the life of an individual and called them to preach the gospel. The church does not call and create a minister. But the church has a tremendous responsibility to recognize when God has done a work in the life of a minister. And so one of the things that's emphasized right here and you can help me connect the dots, if you will. It's, it, it's, it's clear to me, and I hope it is to you, that in order to be recognized in the Lord's church as a gospel minister, uh, how many here have attended an ordination service? A lot of you have. Okay. The first ordination service I went to, I was 16 years old, and the minister that was being ordained was in his late 50s, and I thought, man, he is old, and 
And I remember the preacher that was delivering the charge at that ordination. And he said uh, to this, this minister that was, I thought he was ancient, that he was probably younger than I am right now. And I remember him telling this minister, and I'm 16 years old at this ordination service, and the minister that was delivering the charge, he said, the only honorable age of retirement. And I teamed up. I wanted to know uh, what it was. I thought if that, that, that's not necessarily a job I'm going to sign up for. But if it is, I want to know when I'm going to be able to retire. And he said, the only honorable age of retirement for a minister of the gospel that's called of God is death. I thought, I sure don't want that job. I really did. Well, here's a super important point for the gospel minister. When I was ordained, one of the parts of the ordination service. Before the ministers gathered around and brother David, I think your grandfather was at my ordination service. I think he probably was. There were about probably 40 ministers that were there, 20, 35, 40. One of the first parts of the ordination service for the minister is that the minister sets up here in the front and the presbytery of ministers questioning and they want to know what he believes about God's word they want to know what he believes about the doctrine they want to know what he believes about the sovereignty of God they want to know what he believes about the depravity of man they want to know if he believes that the gospel is going to cause someone to get spiritual life because if you check that box you've just failed the course They want to know that what you believe as a minister of the gospel, as a representative of the church and as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it mirrors the apostles doctrine. So the basis for a gospel minister to have the authority to baptize has to be a minister that embraces the apostles doctrine. That's not what I said. Look at what it says right here. It says, and they continued steadfastly. Here's a group of folks that have been baptized right here. He says they can, they gladly received the word. They were baptized. He says, in fact, there were about 3000 souls that were baptized. He says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine. We've just been going over what we believe that the scriptures teach. That's the apostles doctrine. We've been going over redemption, regeneration, sanctification, justification, salvation, We've been going over depravity. We've been going over election and predestination. And these are points that are in God's word that before a minister of the gospel, before folks will lay their hands on him and acknowledge and declare that he truly is called of God to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has to pass a litmus test that he believes in the principal points of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Now, let me just toss this out. I did not grow up among primitive Baptists. I grew up in other orders. And when I turned 11 years of age, and I was almost 12 years of age, the pastor called my mother and he set up an appointment. We didn't go to this church a lot, but we did sometimes. And the pastor called my mother and he said, your son is just about to reach the age of accountability and we need to set a meeting up with him. And I'll never forget. I sat across from this large desk of the pastor, about 11 and a half years old, almost 12 years old. And he said, you are just about to reach the age of accountability. And there's two things that you need to do to secure your home in heaven. I, I, I love this minister. He, he preached my grandmother's funeral and I loved him dearly. And I, and I put a lot of stock in what he said. He said, you need to follow in gospel baptism and you also need to make a public profession of faith in order to secure your home in heaven. And something just didn't click. And I remember saying to him, I really want to go to heaven, but do I have to do both of those things? He said, you at least need to make a public profession. Now, if I had gone forward, he would have baptized me. And I could have been sincere in my attempt to be baptized. But I have to tell you, When the Lord began to deal with me, I can't 
I, can't, I don't know your experience, but I know mine. When the Lord began to deal with me at 16, 15 and a half years of age, and all of a sudden he began to open up my understanding that he was sovereign and I was depraved and these principal points of the gospel of Jesus Christ became precious to me. I wanted to be baptized by a minister that had opened up God's word and taught me these wonderful principles. Now, you can run over to Acts chapter 19. Andrew and I talked about this this morning. And so uh, I'll just share this with you right here. Here's some folks. If I had been baptized and I believe that I would have been well-meaning in following with the understanding that I had, I believe that I would have. But here's some individuals right here that that were following as, as, as well as they possibly could. It says right here in Acts chapter 19, it says, Paul, it says um, he came to a group of folks. Uh, it was at Corinth and he came to a group of folks and he said, had ye received the Holy Ghost since she believed? They had been and, and, and it, it, it gets down and it, it, uh, it explains to us right here that they had been baptized unto John's baptism. And he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since she believed? And they said, we, we know we 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 have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? So apparently there's some folks here that had been baptized. If I had followed through and been baptized, I would have been in this category right here. I would have. I would have followed and and, and it could have been a wonderful spiritual experience for me. And it could have been a blessing in my life. And if I never knew about the doctrines of grace, it would have been a wonderful, wonderful thing. And, I, and, 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 and that might have been the, the best that I knew and the best that I had. And, and, and I do believe that God is working among other people other than right here at this location. And, and I do believe that, that God blesses folks and works in their lives. But I also believe that when God opens up our eyes to an understanding of who He is, the sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords, and how that we're totally depraved and guilty, bankrupt sinners, then I tell you what, when, when the Lord opened my eyes to that, I couldn't wait to be baptized by somebody that had taught me that precious truth. That's my experience. That's what I... That's what I uh, embraced right there. I was kind of like Michael as we were going through the articles of faith. He said, can I meet with you? I want to I want to speed up and get through that real quick because I want to be baptized. Well, that's exactly how I felt about it. Well, then it says he said unto him, what what baptism were you? And he, they said unto John's baptism. Then Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is the Christ. And it says, and when they heard this, talking about the same group of folks, when they heard that they were to be baptized in the name of Christ, in the Holy Spirit, it says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So when that understanding and light went to them, they were ready to be baptized. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, another, another point right here. In Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 20. I know we're out of time, but please bear with me a couple of minutes. This is so good. And I just, or at least it is for me. I hope it is for you. I hope it is. In Matthew chapter 28 verse 16. It says, then the 11 disciples. Judas was not with them at this time. He, was, he had already died. It says, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee. Into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Now keep in mind, this is Jesus with the 11 disciples. And Jesus came and said unto them, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. I love what Brother Compton used to say about that. If he has all power, how much power does that give us? He has all power in heaven. He has all power in the earth. And then he says, and he gives this charge to those 11 disciples. He didn't give this charge to everybody. He didn't give this charge to 
all that were around, he gave the charge to the 11 disciples. In fact, the charge was originally given to John to baptize. It wasn't given to everybody to baptize. But he says right here, he says, you go therefore forth and you teach all nations. I love what he says right here. You go forth, you teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. When we go to the river today, that's exactly the method and the example that we're going to follow right here with Michael, that we baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. But something that's really special right here. There's more to it than just baptizing. There is. He tells this to these disciples. He said, you go teach. Do you know that's part of preaching? Preachers not just getting up and saying a bunch of words that you can't understand or in a rhythm or in a mode that you can't keep up with him. A minister of the gospel, if he's preaching, he's teaching, he's opening up God's word. And he says right here, you go forth and you teach. And then he says, and you baptize. And then he says, and you teach again. You teach, baptize, and teach. So I believe that one of the reasons that our forefathers put these layers of protection in, one reason is if you start compromising and moving the line, whether it's in the boat, where are you going to stop? If you start compromising and moving the line on the individual and the requirements of the individual, somebody could come and say, well, I believe in a higher power. I know a lot of folks believe in a higher power. I've met some folks at the toll booth in Delaware that believe in a higher power. But they don't believe in Jesus Christ. So you can move the line there. Or if you move it on the administrator. I believe our forefathers knew that if indeed we believe and this is not an arrogant, please, if I, I pray that the Lord will silence my tongue if I'm doing this in arrogance or, 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 or uh, it's important that we follow what the apostles taught. And I believe our forefathers knew that we're prone to deviate and compromise and move our positions. And they put some layers in place that would protect us in the mode, in the meaning, in the individual, and in the administrator. I believe as sure as I'm standing here. In fact, I'm just going to read it. I love this. I believe this and I love it. I, I do. Psalm 48. Great is the Lord our God. And He is great to be praised. In the city of our God. In the mountain of His holiness. And I believe this describes His little nucleus. The church is not a social club. The church is not a civic organization. The church is not a business. You can't run it like a business. But the church of Jesus Christ is a little called out assembly of God's people that he calls together to unite together to help us to get from this life to heaven. Not to, not to pay the price for our sins, but to help us in our journey along. Don't you help one another? Help us to help one another? That's the purpose of the church. That's why God gives you the gifts that he gives you is to help not just for yourself, but to help other people. And he says right here, he says, beautiful for situation. I love this. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. That's the church. It's beautiful to the Lord. And it ought to be beautiful to us. This little, it's called pilgrims and strangers. This little called out assembly. They come together to serve the Lord. And so our forefathers put some things in place that, that help us as a church body, as a church family. Andrew Huffman said that 
he encouraged the folks that he's pastoring. He said, we did an exercise. He said, we took a piece of paper and we drew four categories. And he said, we put checks by each of the categories as we looked at each one of the baptisms. We looked at the mode. We looked at the candidate. We looked at the the person being baptized. We looked at the administrator. And he said, the meaning of baptism. And he said, when you go through the scriptures and you look at each one of the examples of baptism. And you look at all those boxes that are checked together. It'll show you that the church has a responsibility on the administrator. That there is a meaning on baptism itself. That the candidate themselves have to have God working in their life. And he said, you can look at that as a whole and you'll see. I think that'd be a great exercise for us to go through and look at that. That's why primitive Baptist, old school Baptist, require that we be baptized to be in the church of Jesus Christ. And by one that's recognized as a minister of the gospel that holds to the doctrines of grace. May God bless you. You've been able to listen to this special podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 10.30 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.